0: KBLA Talk 1580, I am your host, Angelique Francis, and this is Living in the Sweet Spot. Um, The Sweet Spot is defined as the intersection between divine timing, divine power, all to accomplish a purpose. I continue to bring you these amazing, amazing overcomers into the sweet spot where they share their conversations about Kairos moments, and Kairos moments are God moments that only a God could orchestrate. Um, I don't really believe in luck and, you know serendipitous moments. I believe everything is divinely orchestrated for a purpose. So today I'm so excited to bring you an Angelino, Damien Ross. And Damien Ross uh, is one of my oldest and dearest friends. He's going to talk about his life journey. Um, Damien grew up in a loving family, a close-knit community. Uh, His parents are Lanny and Barbara Ross. And he grew up with an older brother and three sisters. Well, I asked Damien, a.k.a. Dirty D, (laughs) to come on and share his journey, which includes 20 years off and on, on the road with legendary musical genius, Ray Charles. Uh, Welcome in the sweet spot, Damien Ross. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm more happy to have you. Um, So you heard what I said. I don't believe in luck. Right. I don't believe in coincidence. I only believe that um, everything that we've gone through, the good times, the bad times, are all like divinely orchestrated for a purpose. So that's why I had you come because I talked to you a lot about your journey and I'd love for you to talk to the uh, listeners and share your story. Um, I believe that everything that we've gone through is preparation.
1: Yes. Right? Without a doubt.
0: So I've seen a lot of grace over your life. You have uh, you have uh, yeah. uh, taken sometimes the road uh, less traveled, right? Yes. And uh, you know you've uh, struggled with some addiction in your lifetime. Sure have. And uh, a couple of heart attacks. Yes. Lost some loved ones. Yes. And so I just really want to hear about you and your journey, and even your time with Ray Charles. I think that's really significant.
1: Well, that's that started back in 1981. David, his son, we had you know, we grew up together and I was always into his father's music. And I begged my sister, come on, take me on the road. I want to go with you guys. And the opportunity came, I went on the road with him. I stayed maybe out for about six months at that time. Then I came back home and, uh, they stayed on the road. And in between that time and through the years, I would always keep in touch with them. Then about 89, I came back and, uh, I started working as his assistant stage manager because they had another stage manager at the time. And uh, it was great. It was a great experience. And then by 1990, you know, I was his stage manager and I just started, you know, traveling the world with him. And it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my time. But I remember back then, you know, I was, I thought I was getting away from my addiction of drugs, which was mostly crack, uh, was my addiction. And uh, I found myself, you know, going back into that, trying to hide it from everybody. The only thing I did do, was, like when we would leave out of the country, I never use cocaine outside of the United States because I was scared if I got caught in another
0: country, I would be under the jail. You'd be living Midnight Express, that movie. You Remember that
1: movie? (laughs) We were watching it on a bus uh, one time when we were in Istanbul and it was like, (laughs) oh my God. But I remember being out there and uh, this guy, Harry Sweets Edison, he was a trumpet player because we were doing a a tour with the Philip Morris All-Star Band. Okay. And that particular year they had Ray and B.B. King as the vocals. But I remember we went to the bazaar, and you can have jewelry made. And I had a beautiful bracelet made, gold bracelet. I think it ran me about $600. But to say all of that, throughout that whole tour, it was, it was a great experience. We went to like 32, 33 different countries. The only show we did in the United States was at the Apollo Theater. Okay. And that's where we closed it out at. And I remember maybe a month later being back at home, I was in the dope house. And uh, ran out of money. And the only thing I had on me was that bracelet. And I remember I let it go for a $50 piece of rock. Wow. Mm. But that's what drugs do to you, you know. And uh, during that time, I didn't really, I was kind of lost. And I remember we had uh, went out of, out of town to South Carolina. And me and Ray, when we got back to Los Angeles, I had taken like $3,000 out of the, bag. And I remember before I was leaving the office, he said, uh, well, I'll see you at five o'clock to pick me up. And I didn't see him for two years. I went MIA.
0: Okay. Well, you went on MIA, but in the meantime, your family was home praying for you, Oh, everybody. Uh, you know, right? Uh, standing by you. And he had to recognize the addiction. And we're going to really um, talk about that When we come forward, we're going to hear a little music from Ray Charles. We're going to hear some of your amazing stories. Thank you for being willing to be authentic and open because your stories will impact someone else. All in the sweet spot. If you're just joining me in living in the sweet spot, we have Damian Ross, also known as Dirty D, is in the house. And we're talking about... Everything we go through, good or bad, that is it gives us new perspective, right? Damien, and yes. new understanding. And we're talking about his life and his life with Ray Charles. So I can't miss a moment. We got to play some Ray Charles, Kamal, what you got? Let's hear um let's hear the song um what I say. So Ray Charles, one of the most brilliant uh, creative geniuses, soul, jazz, gospel, Um, his life took a journey and his music changed as his life ebbed and flowed, right? Um, Your time with Ray. So you start on the road, you come off the road, you had an opportunity, you started to see what life, something else. Was out there yes. for you. But when you came home, you realized you still had this addictive uh, personality oh, and yes. you knew that you needed to get clean. So I want to know, that's one thing that you shared. I know in the film, Ray, uh, of course, with Jamie Foxx Academy, got Academy Award for that performance. How did he do? He deserved it. He was right on target.
1: He was, uh, he was so good. It's funny because he came to the studio maybe two or three times, if that. But he was playing a younger Ray. So he couldn't really hang around the older Ray because that wasn't what the story was about. And so when he met him, and when I met him at the studio, you know, Ray didn't realize how he was an artist and could play the piano. And then they had a little jam session, and Ray was shocked, like, wow, he could really do this. And, you know... Jamie was superb. I mean, I remember Phil Anschutz, who put up the money for the movie. I met him at the uh, uh, hotel in Beverly Hills, and we were just talking one day. And he asked me, and I said, the movie was right on point, hands down, from the beginning to the end. And it was a great movie. But let me just tell you this. Ray Jr. had a lot to do with that movie being what it is. Okay. And I don't think a lot of people knew that, but Ray Jr. basically put kind of put it together. Mm-hmm. And without him, I don't believe that movie would have ever been made. And oh. I take my hat off to him for that. I mean, it, the movie was great, but he had a
0: lot to do with it. Well, what's beautiful about it is that you got to see not only the musical genius. Yeah, you see some of the, the difficulty and some of his challenge, but he was a functional... Uh, addict. And he still did amazing things in the midst of his addictions. And he could not have done that had he not had great stage managers, great road managers, people that were looking out for him. And so that's what I admire you. You always, when I ask you about your journey, you're so humble about it. But the truth is he couldn't have done what he did either without people like you around him.
1: Well, I had, uh, one thing I can say is that uh, my loyalty to him was like to my own father. He was more like a second dad to me. Uh, there was times when I really thought, you know, he could see because he just, some of the stuff he would do. I mean- <laughs> Like what? I mean, just, I remember him getting on my motorcycle one time and uh, he starts it up. And first thing he does though, he opens up the gas tank and he takes the gas cap and smells it I said boy what a real addict right there you know <laughs> teasing him but he he just he he just just the way he moved around the way he and he knew where his office was that was his sanctuary mm-hmm. that's where he was safe that's where he he was comfortable at and uh but just the way he lived his life and the way he was i mean he shaved himself he you know he do any everything that we do he did mm-hmm.
0: yeah. well in and as you travel with him you got to meet the most amazing musicians and other artists without a doubt so tell me just a, just give me a few people that you were able to meet both um well i
1: i i was blessed to have met bill clinton which was a good friend of his and i met him on several additional dish different occasions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was great and uh Willie Nelson was a true friend of his and a dynamite, great musician, hands down. Many other artists, you know, I had met along the way. And, um, but he had a great band. He, he did three different types of shows. He did a a corporate show. He did the big band show with his band. And we played with Phil Harmonicas all over the United States. Right, right, right but his rhythm section always went with oh i love it no matter where no matter where (laughs) he went his rhythm section and peter Turi, brad rebuchin uh tom he was the bass player but peter Turi had been with him for many many years he was his drummer and he was hard on drummers so you had to be a really good drummer to be with him And you got to realize one thing (laughs) he was a perfection yeah he couldn't see, so he figured if you could read music, you should be able to play it the way it is. Think about it, you know. He we carried like, you know, uh, maybe four hundred songs in each book. So he would get with the uh conductor the you know, the the night of the show and say, Okay, we're gonna play one eleven or right. ninety one, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he knew all these things. Right. He I knew mean he was heart. yeah.
0: Well I saw I was doing a little research in uh The the Rayettes? The Rayettes, yeah. (laughs) Um, They were talking about how hard he was. Like, you know, if you miss miss anything or you try to divert from the way he saw it, no pun intended, then you were going to hear from it because he was a perfectionist. He He knew when you were off, just a syllable. And I saw another guy say, I would have never played the drums for Ray because he was so meticulous about that beat.
1: But I remember we were in San Francisco. We were doing... It was about a 68 piece orchestra, and we were doing uh, wasn't Georgia, and he didn't really come to rehearsals, he, he didn't have to because his conductor that did the uh, the uh, Siphonic uh, shows, uh-huh. Victor Vanacourt, uh-huh. was probably one of the greatest guys I ever seen conduct the orchestra. Wow! But I remember just one time at, at a rehearsal, uh, we were playing, and he just stopped and he points over at a cello per- and he's telling them, You're not getting it and the whole orchestra is like amazed
0: a hundred people
1: there playing
0: I mean well it was about a <laughs> but, 68
1: 70 piece orchestra okay, okay. but it's like they're just amazed because but see his hearing was his eyes that's what you have to remember absolutely <laughs> you know and a lot of people didn't know that he, he he was on point at all times if he I knew if he I knew from being around him if he missed a note or something but you
0: wouldn't have known it right I wouldn't know. know. No, no, and then I understand that he kept time with his feet. Yeah. Oh, he or, someone said he orchestrated the musicians with his feet. Well, that's how he would. He would do you know. And so people were watching his feet. Yeah, you watch his feet,
1: and he. I mean, that's how he would dance on his stool with his feet, right? Like that, <laughs> you know, and move around and stuff. A few times now, when he's on stage, I was always after I set the stage or whatever. I would always be stage right, and a few times, you know, he might be performing. And his head bobbing, and his glasses would fly off. So I'd run out there and grab him with his glasses, give them back to him. But he he was a perfection. Yeah, hands down. That's yeah. who he was.
0: Wow. You know, you were on the road once, and I was in New York, living in New York, I and you came that. through, and he was there. Yes. And you say, "You gotta meet Ray. You yeah. gotta meet Ray." Yeah. And I didn't know about how he meets women. Right. But I do remember. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell everyone how he meets women?
1: How when he rubbed your heart? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was his thing. He's, you know, he's just seeing who you are, feeling you and everything. And, you know, nothing out of disrespect to nobody. Right. And, uh, but, you know, one thing about him, he didn't, if if I came to him and said, I wanted you to meet someone, he's like, okay. He, he was very... Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. He, Accessible, open? No, he, he wasn't. Uh, he was uh, more of an introvert. Oh,
0: okay. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And I believe that's why him and his relationship with Quincy was so great. Because mm-hmm. Quincy was the opposite. Yeah. And uh, many stories, he, you know, I've heard about him and Quincy over the years, of you know, uh, being around him and stuff. And uh, But one thing he always told me, he said they never exchanged money because one couldn't
0: afford each other.
1: you know and it was all done out of love and brotherly love they
0: both brought something to the table for sure for sure without a doubt okay cool cool so tell me what was the just tell me about one of the times that you thought was one of the most significant times in your life maybe something went right or went wrong something that created a defining moment for you on the road i know you were talking to me about uh Something happened with a car. You were on the road looking for, looking for.
1: Looking for drugs, being in the wrong place in South Carolina. And uh, I remember, you know, I pulled up to, you know, figure, okay, I'm going to get what I want. I give the guy the money and he tries to take off. And uh, I chase him down. The guy comes out of the bushes, you know, because I'm an addict. I want my drugs. And she, you're working, but you're still working. I'm working. Yeah, we're out of state. We're like in South Carolina. and They shot up to rent a car just shot it up. And I remember the next morning when he got in the car, you know, I'm, I'm lying and I'm saying I was at a club and they started shooting. And then he feels where the bullet went through one of the cars. He said, well, that's kind of weird. The way it seemed like this bullet came through and finally he was like, what the hell I got enough insurance. Let's park it and go. It, it, it was what it was, you know? And at the time I was young, uh, dumb, and, uh, still wanted to get high. And this mm-hmm. is like in 90, 91 now. 199191. but um, you know I was at that time after we got back you know I had left him when a rehab mm-hmm. and I that tried was, to so that was a defining life. moment for yeah. you like it was like know, another you know, no, it was enough yeah yeah, yeah.
0: You know? and but he loves you through it you know he stayed by you and he understood addiction without a doubt well when I came back in 90 it was either 95 or 96
1: I was working at Southwest and I remember he called me to meet him at the office and uh, I came back and I started back working with him probably a day or two later. I said, I, I knocked on his office door and I went in there to talk about that incident. And he said, that's over with. And that was a blessing for me. And he told me, you know, one day he says, I know what drugs do to people, you know, cause he, you know, he was a drug addict at one time. But he was very compassionate for some reason, and, and, I'm, and I must say this for some reason, he was very compassionate towards me.
0: Yeah, well, you you kind of people kind of like you well, for some reason.
1: Al Jackson was our <laughs> uh, our big bad conductor, and he used to call me the untouchable. Because <laughs> wow. he felt like, because, well, he had a manager named Joe Adams who was just, uh, he didn't like nobody. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was one of these people who was just a miserable man. And he didn't like nobody, and he didn't like me, but he could never touch me when I came to Ray.
0: Okay. So, you were the golden child.
1: <laughs> at that point, yeah. Really, that is true.
0: Yeah. That is true. So, do you have one, what is the most significant memory of uh, your time on the road with Ray? You know what? Uh, after uh, 9-11,
1: mm-hmm. it was probably about maybe, I would say, three or four months, give or take, Uh, we were playing in New Jersey. Now, from this part of New Jersey where we were playing, you could still see the smoke coming up from where the, Mm -hmm. you know, everything was. Make a long story short, uh, one of the stage managers of the theater, we were outside talking and he said, look over where all those cars are. He said, those are cars that people never came back to. But the... The part for me
0: was... Those people died in, they in died. the World Trade Center, yeah.
1: But at the end of this particular show, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was a godsend because when he sang America the Beautiful, mm-hmm. the whole room was holding hands and crying. The conductor, Victor, I remember, had to walk off the stage because he was in tears. Mm-hmm. I'm in tears backstage. And I remember after the show when he was walking off, I said, you did it tonight. You know, you could just feel the love. Mm-hmm. And it and, and, and it, and it it was
0: just a beautiful moment. Yeah, a beautiful um, moment. Because I was in the hospital having a child on that day. <laughs> <laughs> in New York. In New York. In the smoke. In right. the middle. So that's no. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, your youngest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was. Um, this is a beautiful story. We, you know, when we come forward, we're going to talk a little bit more about your your life, your family, your faith. Yeah, for sure. And um, just how divinely blessed you've been
1: Without a doubt, because
0: life could have changed life could have just done a whole different kind of shift right so we know that there's been a lot of grace and a lot of uh and some of that's from the gratitude that you offer so when we come forward in the sweet spot we're going to hear a little bit more about this journey Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song. Wow, if you're just joining me, I'm here with Dirty D, also known as Damian Ross, and Georgia on my mind. Well, you know, my family's from Georgia. So that's one of my favorites. Certainly that brings me so back to my dad and my childhood. Tell us about your childhood.
1: Well, I was blessed. I grew up with my mother and father. Uh, I was an identical twin at birth and I lost my twin during birth. But at that time, you know, C-sections weren't really as popular. So we're talking 62 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were both, I was eight pounds, he was like eight one. We were actually mirror twins. And uh, what I found out later about mirror twins were, now my brother and sisters have identical twins in their with their children. Okay. But a mirror twin is when it's one egg that becomes two. Sure. Identical sometimes is just two eggs. Oh. And then, yeah. Uh, my aunt Lily has shared that with me over the years. But- my mother sheltered me. And my father used to tell her later on in life, you know, you got to let him let him go. But she felt like she didn't want to lose me. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. but you know, I grew up my brother and I I had two sisters. And then at the age of 13, I found out I had an older sister, my sister Sharon, which I'm so glad because I love her. And she's a blessing to all of us. And now we're all like one big family, mm-hmm. in a sense. But growing up, my childhood was great. You know, i uh, I was a rebel. You know, i uh, I was that black sheep. You know that. You know, I rebelled against what my daddy would tell me to do. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like going to school. You know, and uh, my brother was the opposite. He listened to my father, and uh, but later on in life. As we got older, you know, we moved from the avenues further up on 59th Street. And, you know, I started getting into things that I shouldn't have been doing. I was always attracted to my friends that I grew up with that were gay associated, so to speak. Okay.
0: That's a nice way to say it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, but you know what? I found as, as I got older and as I go through life, I became very close with one particular guy in my journey, and that was Keith LaSaccia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he was a friend who, from the, probably around the age of nine or 10, we, we, we started becoming very close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as life, you know, as our journey goes on in life, we started experiencing a lot of the same things,
0: Okay,
1: you know, addiction,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, the behavior of addiction. but. One thing about him, he never turned his back on me. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you're only going to have so many 100 percenters in your life. Right. And, you know, you can count them probably on one hand.
0: hmm
1: And he's one of those 100 percenters. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what I did through his marriage, when he was married, his wife wasn't always, I wasn't always a favorite to her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But he let her know
0: that this is my boy, mm-hmm. period. Well, it's interesting because community for you has been really important, both as a child growing up. Mm-hmm. And then I know that you ride in a motorcycle um, club, yeah. right? So yeah. how, whether it was gang affiliated or the motorcycle club, why is community so important to everyone? I mean, Especially when you're going through some challenges to be able to pick the community that is going to support you, is going to love you unconditionally is going to always make sure that you feel like you have some place that you belong. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened
1: was, uh, when I got on the motorcycle scene, that was around 99 or 2000, I believe. And uh, I was attracted to one particular club called Rare Breed. And uh, some of the guys, when I got in the club, I realized, you know, was from my neighborhood Mm -hmm. that I had grew up in. And some were from different, but... You know, I was just that type of guy that uh, I stay in my lane, but I felt comfortable. You know, I traveled. I've probably been around the world six times. Right. But that wasn't exciting to me. I mean, I hate to say what was exciting to me was being with my friends. Guys that, you know, I could ride with. Guys that I knew were
0: a certain level of their neighborhood, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And uh, that's what I was attracted to. Well, you were never really... You've been around the most famous people in the world. You talk about Quincy like he's... Yeah. queue up the street okay or or all these amazing not just great musicians but iconic people mm-hmm. you've ridden on the concord you've uh, flown first class you've flown everywhere on his uh, ray charles's planes you've been you're not impressed by that no. you just not it's
1: it, it never let me just share this Ray, and and I'm going to backtrack a minute. Mm -hmm. Ray was like a father to me. The greatest gift Ray gave me were the memories of my life right now. And I just want to let you know, two weeks before he passed away, I got an opportunity to thank him at his house because I would go over there like every other day. And I shared with him how much I loved him. And when he shared with me how much he loved me, I felt it go through my body. And Mm. my mother was probably the first one that I shared that with about and she understood it mm-hmm. because I had that type of relationship with him. Now, mm-hmm. outside of him, no. Other people, I mean, I met a lot of celebrities, I met a lot of people, but my friends that I rode motorcycles with, my friends that I grew up with from my neighborhood that were who they were, that's what I loved. Right. That's what made me feel secure. Right. That's what made me fellowship in the way that I could. It's not about nothing else but love
0: mm-hmm.
1: and loyalty. And if you don't have the loyalty. In the love, then what do you really have? Right. I mean, think about it. What, what do we really have? Money ain't going to fix everything. It's just a, a, a stepping stone to get you to wherever you need to be. Now, we need money to live in this world. Don't get me wrong. So we have to work and do certain things. Right. But my friends mean a lot to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I know. So in all of this, what keeps you up at night? Keeps me up? Mm-hmm. What keeps you up at night? I mean, sometimes the state of this union keeps me up. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, as a mother of three, sometimes they keep me up. Yeah. Right? But what keeps you up?
1: Um, Sometimes my nieces and nephews, Mm because I worry about them. But for the most part, you know, I wasn't blessed to have children. Mm and uh i kind of wish i did mm-hmm. but i was blessed to have 17 18 nieces and nephews 10 great nieces and nephews and then those that and I, then mine yeah, <laughs> yeah and then those that i claim right. you know outside like my good friend lisa her daughter Tori is like mm-hmm. that's like my little daughter right right and 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 it's just a great feeling to love someone you know mm-hmm. and uh Shimeen with mm-hmm. her kids mm-hmm. you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: what you know but it, it's, I, you know, maybe that's that's what would keep me up. I worry about them mm-hmm. because of this world today. Mm-hmm. It's very sick. Mm-hmm. It's
0: very, it's, it's Satan is mm-hmm. around in life. Well, it's a lot they have to contend with. Yeah. So we're going to hear more when we come forward in the sweet spot. I have Damien Dirty D Ross in the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Nighttime time is the right time. <laughs> you spend some nights out and about. You know what? I, I can't help but ask you this question. I don't ask everyone this, but I need to know from you, what would you tell this, this guy right here? I won't say how old you are, but what would you tell your 21-year-old self? What advice would you give you? At 21, when you were probably the most uh, rambunctious, the most inquisitive. <laughs> Stay in school and don't ever pick up drugs. Okay. So yeah. if you had it to do all over again. A
1: lot of things I wouldn't change. Okay. Because I wouldn't be who I am today.
0: Right.
1: And uh, we go through a, a journey of life where, you know, it's about, life is about experience. Mm-hmm. Things we regret in life, I believe, are things we don't experience. I've been blessed to have experienced a lot of things from A to Z and uh, to see the world and to be around certain people and, and to do certain things.
0: But, you know. And for, two heart attacks.
1: Well, yeah. How did that change your life? Uh, <laughs> it probably didn't, but it did. Uh, it did and it didn't? Yeah, you know, uh, I changed a lot of my eating habits. Okay. I did do that. There's certain things that I still do that I shouldn't do. I like to have a cigarette sometimes and I shouldn't,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: you know, it's part of life. Put the cigarettes on the table. Exactly. <laughs> you know, my life is real simple. I've had a great life. When the day comes and the Lord wants me to come home, I'm ready to go.
0: Okay. You, know. you are ready. Cause you yeah. know, you're a good guy yeah. and
1: you, uh, and I'm not scared of death. Yeah. Right. You
0: know? I'm not scared of it. Right. Wow. So you've been around a lot of money. What is real wealth?
1: To me, love, family, Sobriety of life and not just a sobriety of being sober, but of where you're at, you know, and what's important to you. Mm -hmm. Clarity, clarity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Family is the most important thing to me and my true friends, but family first. Yes. You know, without a doubt, because I know a lot of people with money that are miserable. Absolutely. And 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 are looking for love.
0: So I know uh, you used to like to gamble. Still do. Still do. If you won the lottery, big, uh, if you won like a $800 million lottery, what's the first thing you would do?
1: Start giving it away. That would be the joy. I always wanted to go to like different car lots. I always fantasize in my head and see the people that get turned away because they couldn't get a car because of credit or money and just tell them, don't worry, I got you and buy it.
0: You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. I probably... (laughs)
1: I probably give most of it away, and that would be that's that's the greatness of it, because you can only do so much with money. You know, you got all these. Tupac said it so good. They got money for wars, but they can't feed the poor. Yeah, and that is so true. Why do we have so many poor people that can't eat, yeah. especially children? I get every kid from from the from the. South Central and, and rent out Disneyland and let them have a great day. <laughs> that can't afford to go. Right. I mean, to me, it's just money.
0: All right. Well, we yeah. let's go make some money so we can give away some. Let's do it. <laughs> when we come forward in the sweet spot, I got Damian Ross, Dirty D, in the house. You have been hanging out with me in the sweet spot. Damien, thank you so much for being with me and living in the sweet spot. Uh, thank you for sharing your stories, thank your you perspectives. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Oh, anytime. You can come back anytime. Hang okay. out with me. I like that. Um, <laughs> you know what? This episode has been brought to you, everybody, by Beloved Entertainment. That's my impact media company. You've been listening to KBLA Talk 1580 in the heart of Los Angeles, where we are unapologetically black and progressive I feel like I want to toss this over to Dirty D. Will you do a little DJ for me? Yeah, now? let's close it out with my main man who was a part of
1: my life and will always be because they can't take that away from me Ray
0: Charles. All right, we got Dirty D and Ray Charles in the sweet spot. your hat the way
1: you sip your tea the memory of
0: all that, that no no they can't take that away from me, the way, me. <laughs> the way you smile your feet the way you the way you talk my dreams no no they can't take that away from me I'll never meet again on the bumpy road to love, still I'll always keep the memory of the way you hold your knife, the way we dance until three, the way you change.